Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. Locked On Trailblazers, your daily Portland Trailblazers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to an October 7th Friday edition of the Locked On Blazers podcast. I'm your host, Eric Garcia Gunderson, a writer for BlazersEdge.com and the former Blazers beat writer for the Vancouver Columbian. Welcome back. It is a Friday. We left you last on Tuesday after the Blazers' first preseason game of the season, a win over the Utah Jazz. And tonight, Friday, October 7th, they were going to play the Phoenix Suns at the Moda Center uh, for their second preseason game of the year. And the battle for the 15th man continues that, I think, is a very interesting story, the most interesting story, I think, um, with the Blazers, because I think whoever plays at small forward, they're going to mix and match them the whole year, and uh, I don't even, I, I, I'm even starting to wonder whether starting, uh, wh- whether who starts is going to matter all that much, um, and I, I do think that the starting lineup conversation is an important one, because you obviously don't want to start games poorly, however, I do think that it's important. Uh, I, I, it's not that important. It's more interesting to look at the 15th roster spot situation because last season, you know, we had a 15th roster spot situation with Tim Frazier and uh, and uh, Phil Pressy. No, yeah, Phil Pressy. Uh, and he, the sorry to confuse him. I thought it was maybe Paul Pressy, but I think that's his dad. Um, and anyway, those two guys were both point guards. Both point guards you couldn't shoot. Both. Guys who were, you know, they're going to be tenacious on D and they're going to pass the ball and they're going to be, you know, the archetypical archetypal backup point guard. And that's what you were getting no matter who you choose. You know, there were lots of, you know, lots of things to consider there. There was the relationship with Tim Frazier and and Damian Lillard and the Blazers after having been there for a whole season. And that mattered. But, uh, you know, when it comes to the situation this season it's more interesting in the sense that there are four guys who all play different positions all have different skills and all do different things all battling for that same roster spot we were introduced on monday night uh to grant jarrett at least many of us were uh and you know he looked good he was knocking down threes he was uh you know doing everything and uh, I mean, doing everything that you would want out of your stretch four. I mean, he he had some good rebounds. I mean, he has a little bit of trouble with physical play a tad, but, you know, it's not something that is going to knock him out of uh, contention for a 15th roster spot because I think when you can shoot that well, 
that teams you can never have enough shooting even a team like the Blazers that already has a ton of shooting and is going to shoot a ton of threes you can never have enough and that's why I think this situation is really interesting because Jarrett can shoot threes you have Greg Steamsma veteran you know pretty decent shot blocker when he was in his uh you know, NBA prime years. He spent a lot of time in Europe before coming over to play for the Boston Celtics. And then, you know, was with Minnesota and kind of bounced around the league a little bit. Uh, been trying to get in camps and all that stuff. And, you know, he, he's with the Blazers in camp. They have some injuries on the front line, but, uh, you know, he, he still has a chance though. I, I wouldn't put him as the leader in the clubhouse at all. Um, and I think that he does bring a skill, but I do think the Blazers are already going to have enough trouble finding minutes for their big men that I don't think it's really that advantageous for them to sign Steamsma. And then you have, <clears throat> you have Tim Quarterman, uh, the rookie out of LSU six, six guard was running the offense a little bit for the Blazers. The other day took a lot of the clutch shots, for LSU alongside Ben Simmons. Unclear whether that was Ben Simmons being passive in those moments or Tim Quarterman just believing in himself and being aggressive, but he had a chance or he has a chance. He played about three minutes the other night, had a couple turnovers, not a great outing, not a really a memorable outing at all either. Um, it seemed like it was a pretty forgettable uh, game for Tim Quarterman, but he's in the mix and, you know, he's a different type of player and he's, he's a combo guard. They already, you know, trusted him to run the offense a little bit. And, and, and he is, is another guy to think about in this situation. And then you have Luis Montero, the incumbent who has been here since last season, you know, has been on the roster, has been working in the gym, has been working with the coaches, has been working with video guys, has been doing everything that they've taught him. I mean, they, I mean, I swear that, you know, when he came in for his draft workout, you know, this is a guy who has always wanted the ball in his hands. He's a guy that was playing hoops on the streets of New York, you know, like right before he signed to the Blazers. And, uh, you know, they've always they've had to really work with him on a lot of stuff, you know, changing the catch and shoot and changing the way he plays. And and I think that they really like his package and what they can mold him into. And he struggled uh, for the early parts of his shift at the end of Monday night. But he was really solid. I mean, not, you know, he was really solid for like the last minute. He knocked down a big three uh, over Howell Neto. And then he also got a steal or caused a steal uh, by upping the defensive pressure, which I think is something that um, the Blazers want to see and was one of the only things that Montero really did well at Summer League. He couldn't make a three to save his life and. Uh, and couldn't finish either, but he did play solid defense. And if he can bring solid defense and three-point shooting, then you have a guy who's a potential 3 and D wing. And you can never have enough of those in this league now. Like, you just can't. But you need guys like that. You need as many guys like that as possible for when you're going to play Golden State and you're going to play uh, – the, the a lot of the teams in the league now that are going in that direction, you know, you're, you're going to be playing, you know, the Pacers like that. And you're going to like almost every team now is going to this small ball. Look, very few teams are going traditional four guys. And if they're not, that means that they're going to have trouble. Uh, you know, if teams are, we saw this with Utah the other night, uh, they, they ha- their strength is the fact that they have two rim-protecting big men on the court at all times with Favors and, ha- Favors and Gobert. But if you tr- put a truly stretchy guy at four 
and play small like Harkless, that gives them trouble. And I'm not saying Montero can play forward, but it gives them more options to put another guy in that can play a wing position, play a little defense and shoot and then slide everybody up. And so that's, I think, where the intrigue is with Montero. And I don't know if he's going to make the team. I think this is a very open competition. I think he has, you can't say that he doesn't have a leg up uh, to make the team because he's the incumbent, but um, there's a lot of, you know, lots of good competition in this camp right now. And I think what makes it the most interesting is the different types of players that they all are and what all of them could potentially bring to the Blazers. And, and another thing that I want to talk about um, that I didn't get to on the last podcast that I think would be appropriate to talk about because it's important and I'm sorry for forgetting, but sometimes we get lost in the basketball on this podcast and, and, and we forget. And then that, that's, that's my excuse. And uh, it's not a good one, but that, that is what it is. And it's, it's the anthem protest and the Blazers are a part of those. Uh, the Blazers, you know, were, talked about that they would do something. And uh, obviously with Colin Kaepernick's protest, it's kind of driven a conversation about issues, you know, plaguing this country, racial inequality, uh, the treatment of black citizens by the police, uh, politics, the political system Colin Kaepernick has talked about, uh, you know, everything. I mean, we're, we're talking about a whole bunch of stuff around our sports conversation because of the Colin Kaepernick protests and things that we don't normally talk about. And, uh, I, I think that's important and I think it's great. And, and I think, uh, a lot of NBA teams are trying to, uh, figure out a way to make a statement. And I am a little concerned, and I'm not the only one. I think there's a lot of people that have written great things or tweeted great things on this topic uh, uh, of the player protests. And that is, I feel like the, the player protests in the NBA have lost a little bit of their bite um, because I think the ones that you know start, that started with Colin Kaepernick were really effective because they were disruptive. They were... They, they were not these blanket uh, statements of unity that I feel like a lot of the NBA teams are doing, whether it's the Raptors holding their you know, arms around each other or uh, you know, the, the Utah Jazz doing it the other day. Uh, the Blazers have been one of the teams that have protested. They are forming a circle um, in, in the key uh, next to their bench before the national anthem. And I think that is probably the most... Uh, you know, out of the ordinary protests because a lot of them are just a lot of the protests are teams just standing along the line like they always do and holding hands. Or if you're the boss in the case of the Boston Celtics, they like recreated a photo uh, from their 1960-61 team. But I want to bring up something that Dan Feldman, who is the host of Locked On Pistons, uh, which you should definitely listen to, and also a writer for NBC's Pro Basketball Talk. Um, I want to bring up something that Dan brought up. Uh, he wrote a great piece about the NBA anthem protests and whether they're, you know, really being as effective as they can be. They recreated the Boston Celtics recreated a photo from their 1960-1961 season, and in 1960-1961, the image of black and white players and a white coach all holding hands together was a huge thing like that. That's a way bigger deal in 1960 than it is in 2016. And I don't necessarily think that the way that a lot of NBA teams are going about this is evoking any emotion or is causing people to confront anything about perhaps what they think or what this country is going through or what have you. And I think the Blazers are the closest to that because they're at least 
doing something where, you know, that's somewhat out of uh, protocol, that's somewhat not the protocol. But I do think a lot of the anthem protests are getting uh, or what the protests of the anthem were about is getting lost in these blanket displays of unity. And I think it's it's much, you know, as a coach, you want to avoid conflict as much as possible. You want everybody to get along. But that's also just not how. Um, the workplaces operate. I mean, we even the NFL, which obviously is a different league, but and this was kind of a small straw poll. But you, there was a great story from Bleacher Report this week that you know, twenty one out of twenty one white players in the NFL are going to vote for Trump, and I think it's twenty out of twenty two uh, black players are going to vote for Clinton. And it, so, obviously, the, these situations are not situations where everybody is agreeing. It's hard, but. I, I think instead of feigning unity and, and, and touting this unity, I think would maybe it'd be more effective if maybe there was a little bit of a disagreement, but you could continue working on that and talking about that. Obviously, it's hard. And, you know, if you're if you're a team, maybe you, you're concerned with a distraction or whatever. But I think that that's not really an effective anthem protest. I don't necessarily think that the it's it's not really a protest anymore. I think it's just a display of we're all together and it's it's really easy uh, as a coach to get behind that because everyone's doing something as a team we're all together but it i don't it's hard to know what every, you know what the purpose is and i think a lot of it is standing for injustice i think jared sullinger said something about the injustice in the united states and you know we may not hear you know a whole lot from uh players uh, about that but i feel like we're not hearing top talk on the same issues as we're hearing with Kaepernick where we're talking about, you know, actual issues in this country. And I wonder if it's getting swept under the rug in the name of unity and uh, the fact that it's easy to sell to a coach. And it's also easy as these teams to sell that to fans and tell, sell that to people that, uh, you know, that the unity is, is something that we all should strive for instead of uh, talking about the things that caused the protests in the first place. And so, um, I think it's important. We have to talk about that. I'm sorry that we didn't get to this anthem protest uh, discussion, but I do think it's important to talk about because the Blazers are, even if I don't think that the way NBA teams are going about it, 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 it is the is the best way to drive the conversation that Kaepernick was trying to start. I think the Blazers and I think a lot of these teams are trying to continue the conversation in some form by doing something, even if I don't necessarily think it's all that disruptive and is really catching attention for from anyone. So th that's kind of uh, my, my take on the protest. But I wanted to touch on that uh, before this episode ended and before this week ended, because, you know, the Blazers did it at FanFest and they also did it in their first preseason game. And I'm sure they're going to do it again tonight uh, when they take on the Phoenix Suns. Phoenix Suns again. Coming to the Moda Center tonight, they will bring Eric Bledsoe, Devin Booker, who uh, the baby-faced shooting uh, guy, shooting star. I, I think I just call him. I'll just call him the baby-faced shooting guy, Devin Booker, um, who, who's really good at shooting. Uh, the Suns had a rough season last year, and Booker was the only good thing about it. Uh, Earl Watson, former Blazer uh, player uh, on the team, uh, is now the head coach of the Phoenix Suns, so he'll be back in town tonight uh, with the Phoenix Suns. And, oh yeah, interesting story about the Phoenix Suns. They're tracking high fives this year, so... You know, maybe maybe by tracking high fives, uh, may, maybe they'll have a happier season than they had last year because 
Uh, last year was pretty, pretty rough for the Suns uh, with Bledsoe getting hurt, with Brandon Knight getting hurt, and Tyson Chandler, you know, just filled with regret every game, uh, it seemed like, for, for going to Phoenix and uh, getting that. getting that. But I, I'm sure when he checks, you know, he got a good contract. So I, I, I think that uh, Tyson Chandler is going to be okay. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I thought it was important to uh, touch on the anthem protest because I think the Blazers are trying to do something about it. Uh, I just wanted to give, you know, my take on whether, you know, on how effective those protests are uh, and all that. But I think that's going to do it for me today uh, uh, for this Friday episode. I know it's a little bit short. We are going to get to the Blazers again this weekend. We will have another episode for you uh, before the week is over. They're playing the Phoenix Suns tonight. 15th man roster spot battle is still going to continue. The small forward battle is going to continue. I I would be very surprised if Stotts didn't have a different starting lineup tonight than he had against Utah. Uh, Utah, he went with the traditional starters of Lillard, McCollum, Harkless, Aminu, and Plumlee, the lineup that ended... Uh, or that started games for through the end of the regular season and the start of the playoffs. So uh, I, I'm going to assume that Stotts is going to go to something different. Evan Turner looks pretty good. Uh, so maybe he'll get a chance to play with the two guards tonight to start the game. But uh, look for that. Look for uh, maybe a little more Jake Lehman since he's healthy. Who knows? But um, And then the 15th roster spot battle uh, probably will take place around the fourth quarter. So if you if you like hard knocks, uh, if you like, uh, you know, the tales of guys, you know, fighting to just make it in the league, you know, uh, although preseason basketball itself is pretty boring and pretty, uh, ungratifying, those moments are, um, you know, as real as it gets. So, uh, yeah, tune in tonight. Uh, Blazers play the Phoenix Suns as the preseason continues, roster battles continue, training camp continues, and we will be back with you one more time before the end of the week here on Lockdown Blazers. Subscribe to us on iTunes on Stitcher, on TuneIn FM. We are everywhere podcasts are. Audio boom. Subscribe to us. Leave us a five-star review. And come back again tomorrow where we'll be back with another episode of Lockdown Blazers.